0: We're going to do something a little bit different today, and the uh, Lord laid something on my heart. And so we're going to ask today to be a family worship time. And so at this time, parents, uh, your kids are going to come to you. We've got some worksheets and some crayons, but if you don't mind just either waving at them or kind of standing up so they can see you. And we're going to—I told you we love kids, man. We're all right with them being here, and you'll know— uh, I have four kids, so we obviously love kids, because we kept having them. So, um, And so we want our kids to be a part of this, too. I think this is something that the Lord has for all of us. So, As they're making their way to you, I want to thank you for your understanding. The Lord has given me a message today that I believe we all need to hear including our children they've got boxes of crayons and color coloring sheets and so they'll uh, have those to sit with you and they can doodle and that'll be just fine we have family sundays like this occasionally normally We uh, let you know about that ahead of time. And uh, the Lord told me to do this yesterday, so you'll have to take that up with Him. So uh, normally we uh, plan these out. It's not something we do all the time, but occasionally because we value our kids getting to be a part of worship. Not just the worship for themselves, but worship uh, and see you worship and see us worship. I think it's very integral Their growth. There's been a few times in my life when the Lord seemed to clearly speak to me about a specific issue. One of those was surrounding my three brothers. So um, I'm the oldest son of of four sons. So I'm the oldest boy, and I have three younger brothers, so uh, who in here has siblings? Who has brothers or sisters? Yeah, how about, uh, yeah, we all have those, right? Not a lot of us. And, uh, and then we also have friends and cousins if we don't. Um, I'm the oldest, like I said, of four boys, and in some ways was like a third parent. Um. At least that's how what I felt like I should be. I felt the responsibility of that, and uh, sometimes that's often can be thrust upon firstborns. We assume because we're left in charge that we need to be in charge all the time. And so that was me. Now you can imagine, you can imagine always feeling like you're in charge or responsible for other people, yet... They are completely autonomous individuals who think that they are in charge, either of themselves or other people as well. You can imagine how great of a relationship that made for me and my brothers. Or maybe you can't, maybe that's not you. But as the firstborn and always feeling like I need to be the one to tell them where to be, what to do, how to do it, uh, that rubbed them wrong. I don't know why. Why? Why did that rub them wrong? And so there was many times of strife, particularly with my second-born brother. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there was just a lot of strife. God called me to preach and to be a pastor and to serve in ministry at the age of 16. So not only was I a first-born brother that felt like I needed to be the third parent and be responsible for my siblings, my brothers, and tell them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, Now God had called me to be a pastor and so in some ways I felt that my responsibility for them spiritually was there as well. So I remember many times being determined that they were living their lives sinfully. They were living their lives for themselves. They were living their lives the wrong way. And now I needed to be their spiritual guide as well. And you can imagine that was not received well either. And I remember a time, this is one of those moments where God spoke to me, was so concerned about their lives. I should have been concerned about my own more so, but I was so concerned about their lives that I just thought, gosh, if they didn't do something, they were going to, I don't know what I thought, I guess die and go to hell, I don't know, you know, and so I felt this need to pastor them, or lead them, or guide them, and it just didn't work. Now, I remember us at Christmas one year, and it was before any of us were married, and I, one brother was married, but he was, um, his relationship had ended. And I remember having this smug, self-righteous attitude toward my brothers and how they lived their lives, and then all of a sudden in that moment, here we are gathered around the home as you often do at Christmas time, holiday times, and my brother, who I thought was the furthest from God, began to speak about how God had been working in his life, and I had nothing to do with it. And the Lord spoke to my heart in that, mo- in that moment and, re- and I realized, I realized, it's not, I can't do anything to cause my brothers to follow Christ. They are going to have to choose to follow Christ. They're going to have to follow him and live their lives for him. And that's up to them. And there's nothing I could do to change their hearts and minds. The Lord didn't need me is what I realized. You don't need me, God. You're far more powerful than I am. I am far more limited than I would like to realize. The Lord spoke to me so clearly in that moment, and I wept to understand. My brothers didn't need me to be their righteous guide. They needed Jesus first. And in that moment, I realized perhaps I needed him the most. In that moment, like Paul, I realized I was the chief of sinners in the greatest need of the Lord's touch. Today is a day like that. I've been learning a lot about forgiveness lately. And I came across a podcast, a sermon, and a book where the topic was total forgiveness. And then like that moment at Christmas that year when I looked around the room and looked at what my brothers needed, and thought I was their righteous guide, I began, as I listened to these podcasts and sermons and books, began to think about the people I knew who needed the Lord to help them to find total forgiveness in their own hearts. I'm so thankful the Lord is like this, but you think I would have learned by now. As I'm thinking about all the people that I thought of that needed total forgiveness, the Lord, like a dagger. <laughs> Help me to see that the discouragement and burnout I had been feeling was linked to the bitterness in my own heart. I wept and was broken. And though I think I need this message more than anybody in this room today, I do sense that the Lord will use it in our midst to address something we all must learn to do totally forgive. I want to take you to a passage today in the Old Testament. So just so you know, we're not doing Revelation. If you want to hear the message from today that was supposed to be this morning, you can come tonight at 5 p.m. I'll preach it then. We're going to be in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we'll be in chapter 45, and I encourage you to turn there. And in this passage, we read about a, a man with 11 brothers. <laughs> I just thought I had it bad. He had 11 of them, and they all hated him. It's Joseph. It's a familiar story. You may recall bits and pieces. Joseph's brothers had done incalculable, horrific things to him, short of killing him because they were jealous of his standing with his dad. And many years had transpired and now his brothers were with him here in in Egypt seeking to sustain their family, not realizing that their brother is now the highest official in all the land of Egypt and their literal lives are in his hands. And I want you to see what Joseph does to respond to them, and I think we will learn some things about forgiveness. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 45, it says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, "'I am Joseph. Is my father still living?' But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, "'Please come near me.' And they came near. "'I am Joseph, your brother,' he said, "'the one you sold into Egypt.' And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From this passage, I hope to help us see what it means to totally forgive someone and what the signs are to help you know whether or not you have forgiven someone. What we see in this passage is that you no longer need for anyone else to know what was done to you. You think Joseph would want the Egyptians to see how amazing he was, how kind and compassionate. You think that Joseph would want all the people that he'd been leading for two years to, in this famine and had led seven years before that, you would think that he would want them to acknowledge and understand, man, this guy is outrageously kind because he could have had his brothers killed. He could have at least sent them away with nothing and tell them, fend for yourself. Look what you did to me. Now I have the opportunity to do it to you and heap on you the same judgment that you heaped upon me. That's not what Joseph did. Joseph sent everyone out. You'll know when you're on the road to forgiveness when you no longer need to talk about it to anyone else. Joseph sent out the Egyptians because he wasn't, it wasn't any of their business. And he conceals the harm that was inflicted on him from his brothers. He didn't need to bring them into this situation, didn't need to bring anybody into this situation, because the goal cannot be to get even or even to get vengeance. Because God clearly has a way that he views you and I getting even or getting vengeance when we have been done wrong to. He tells us this in Romans 12, 14 through 21. I want you to read this with me. Because it's on the screen or you can flip there if you want to quickly and read what, what Paul tells us about God and the way he views this idea. He says, Blessed, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So can you truly stop talking about what was done wrong to you and stop telling people how badly you were treated and what a victim you were? Can I just say, if you think that I somehow read your mail and I'm pointing a finger at you, you're wrong. The Lord is preaching this to me. I'm still learning how to forgive. But until you get to that point, you really haven't forgiven. The second thing that we see is that you begin to pray for ways to put others at ease. Joseph has the power to punish them. But instead, he brings them near and begins to put them at ease. He's removing the fear between them. Joseph could be an accuser. In this moment, he could be an accuser. He could say what human nature tells us to say. Human nature tells us and loves the fact that we would accuse. We love to preserve ourselves and punish someone else. How often when I've done wrong, when I... Or when I've offended someone or when I have done something in a situation or someone's done something to me, how quick I am to save face, how quick I am to cover my, uh, myself, and how quick I am to point out how I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I was misunderstood here and I was misunderstood there and how quick I am to preserve Now, quick I am to say, but they did this and that and this and that. Our nature is to accuse. We minimize our part in a situation and magnify the part of the other person. But being an accuser is satanic because the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. To be an accuser is satanic because the Bible makes clear Satan is an accuser. And so Joseph, instead of accusing, begins to push for peace. Come near me, I'm your brother. This distance that's been between us, let's minimize it. Let's bring each other close and near. He tells them, don't worry about what you've done because God had a different plan. Who are the people in your life who you can apply grace to and grace would be received? In the message, the sermon I told you I heard as the Lord has been working on my heart for this week and many weeks before that, he said these words, and it just pierced my heart. And it said, he said, time doesn't heal wounds, grace does. You and I should be people who give grace because you and I have received grace. The third thing, know you've gotten on the road to forgiveness, is that you begin to realize how God uses bad situations in good ways. This is hard. This is hard. It's not easy. Because our nature wants to point out all the terrible things. It's hard for us to see the good and the bad. But, but Joseph, Joseph didn't do this overnight, just so you know. I mean, this took a long time. But Joseph, in this moment, Told his brothers, you didn't send me here, God did. On the podcast I listened to and in the book I read, a man named R.T. Kendall recounts how he confided in a friend who was from another country and had no dealings with a specific situation that he was placed in. And so he decided, though he told no one else, that he would tell this man the whole situation expecting him to console him and say, man, I can't believe you've had to go through that. I'm so sorry. You are vindicated in your being upset. You are vindicated in your unforgiveness. But that man said to him, instead, you must totally forgive them. And the man, R.T. Kendall interjects, he's like, wait one one second, I didn't tell you everything. There's a little bit more I need to tell you about You must have misunderstood. And he says, you must totally forgive them. Release them and you will be set free, he said to him. Release him and you will be set free. R.T. Kendall continued to say it was the hardest thing anyone had asked him to do. And he continued that story and showed kind of around the same time that shortly after his friend had told him this, he to release the wrongdoer and forgive him totally, he was at his church. He was a pastor, and he was leading the music. And a woman walked in and sat near where he could see, and this woman had done incalculable harm to one of his children. And he struggled to sing, He struggled to pray and was terrified that he would struggle to be able to deliver a message because all he wanted was that woman to receive God's justice. He said that in the midst of all that time, he had like five minutes before he was to get up and preach, and he had the most important conversation, one of the most important conversations he's had with the Holy Spirit within that five minutes and the Holy Spirit said to him you want revival in your church RT yes Lord I do but do you want revival more or do you want that woman to receive my justice more and as a good preacher he said I'd revival Lord do you really yes Lord and if you do, pray for me to bless her. He said, Lord, I pray for her. Pray for me to bless her. Bless her, Lord. Do you really mean it, RT? Bless her, Lord. Now, what if I actually do it? No, you wouldn't do a thing like that, Lord, would you? And he said, in that moment he prayed truly for that woman to be blessed. And the Lord ch- radically changed her life. And then the Lord radically changed the life of his church. What was terrible, difficult. Man, it's so difficult when something, somebody does something to your kids, it's like the worst. But out of it, God brought spiritual renewal to a woman and to an entire congregation. (laughs) You begin to realize how God uses bad things to bring about good results. It was almost as if the pastor's bitterness was a clog in the pipe of the Holy Spirit's movement. A man named Ben Mandrell, who, he, runs our, um, he runs Lifeway, our, our Sunday School curriculum arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, And in a message, he preached about this, about forgiveness. He said, the moment you stop opening yourself up to forgiveness, you become a swamp of grace rather than a conduit. You become stagnant water that the Spirit doesn't work in. You see, grace is meant to flow to us and then through us. You and I have been forgiven. We must forgive Have we not been forgiven greatly? Then we should forgive greatly. Maybe it's the fact we don't quite realize the lengths to our Lord went to forgive us. So I want to remind you that it was our Savior on the cross. He'd been just beaten to a bloody pulp literally within inches of His life he hung on a cross and his back was torn up because of how he was beaten and every time he had to go get a breath he had to push up on the nails nailed through his his feet and through his hands just to catch a breath and one moment when he was able to lift himself up to catch a breath he spoke the words father forgive them they don't know what they're doing He forgave you he forgave me and he forgives us again and again and again and again every time we fail him he forgives us every time we falter he forgives us every time we hold on to something he forgives us every time we grasp and hold and and fight and do what we want to instead of what He wants us to do, He forgives, and He forgives, and He forgives, and He forgives. So I know it's hard, but wasn't it hard for Him? (coughs) And I wonder, are we grieving God's Holy Spirit because Paul, again, tells us about forgiveness and how important Christ's forgiveness is first and how also he tells us how serious bitterness or unforgiveness is. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4:30 through 32 and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. And then the very next thing he says... So it's like he's saying the thing that's grieving the Spirit is this. So he says, let all bitterness. You could use the word unforgiveness there. Let all unforgiveness, let all bitterness, let all anger, let all wrath, let all shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. You and I can stifle or offend. That's literally what that word grieve means. We can offend the Holy Spirit with our unforgiveness, with our bitterness. Now that doesn't mean you're not saved, but it could mean He's not working in your life. And the best thing that can happen for this church going into the future is not to get a bunch of people to fill up the seats, Though I pray the Lord will do that. It's not to get the music just right. It's not to have the kids' ministry just popping and, and going in such a great way. It's not to have an amazing youth program. I mean, those are important. But what's most important is people repenting of their sin and holding bitterness in their hearts and seeing God transform hearts and relationships. And I want you to know, I think that has to start with me. And I'm praying and trying and learning and leaning on the Lord to help me. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing also. What I feel led to do in this moment is to invite us to do just that, to repent. If you're holding on to bitterness, if there's unforgiveness in your life, in your heart, might be somebody in this room, hey man, I realize I'm not perfect. You might be mad at me. And I pray that you'd be able to forgive me if I've wronged you. And I pray that I would not be the source of your bitterness and what might be holding up the Lord working in your heart. I don't know what this looks like. Uh, The Lord gave me all the answers up to this moment. What I know is we need to repent, we need to pray, and we need to let go and release so we can be set free, and that's what I'm going to do, and I invite you to join me.